Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwell Report. And what a show we have for you today because it's about the wonderful world of empowering women. And let me start the show with a quote from Sigmund Freud himself, who once said, The great question that's never been answered and which I have not yet been able to answer despite my 30 years of research into the feminine soul, that question is, what does a woman want? And on the show today, to discuss women and figure out what they do want, I have a very empowered woman who's an international leadership expert, a best-selling author, a globally renowned leader, and the president and CEO of the Women's Food Service Forum, the one, the only, Miss Hattie Hill. Welcome to the show, boo-boo. Thank you, sir. I'm excited to be a part of your show. Thank oh, you. they all say that. How the devil are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Oh, all the better to hear from you. Thank you, sir. Well, I want to clear the air and say that I think women are more intelligent than men. I think they're more hardworking than men. And I think in some cases they're even stronger than men. And, and if all they want is equal pay, I think that's a bargain. Let them bake cake and eat it too. What do you think? I think women are awesome. Of course, we are great. We're fabulous. We just, you know, it's a it's a wonderful. I think it, it, what does what do women want is a great question, mm. and it's a great way for us to start the conversation because we want it all. We just hadn't figured out how how we can have it and when we can have it. Well, you know, one of the things I've observed in life, you see a lot of smart guys with dumb women, but you rarely see a smart woman with a dumb guy. Let's see. You rarely see a smart woman with a dumb guy. Well, then I think you've answered the question. Women are smarter. There you go. In that case, my wife's a bloody genius. Well, your wife's a bloody genius. <laughs> I love that. Oh, that's great. No, you know what? I think uh, a great question, and you tell me what you hear men say, mm-hmm. but what I think women want really is to be a part of the wonderful uh, system that we have in our country of uh, of capitalism be a part of these solutions to take care of their families. Mm. So they really do just want to be a part of this wonderful system that's known as America. Well, I'm glad you said that because, you know, I, I was thinking about it. And men and women, t- to a certain extent, are different. But as we're progressing into time, you know, we seem to be hell-bent on making them the same. And here's the dilemma I have. Trying to be a man is a real waste of a woman. And that's called fight for equality. But for a man, if he's trying to be a woman, that seems to be a questionable trait at at best. And I think it's called a fetish. Oh, okay. (laughs) You see how unfair it is? I think it's a different system. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a different system. And I don't know that, I don't think that women, for example, want to be a man, what women want is is women really just want to be at the table, right? Uh, we want to be a part of the solution. So if you think about it from just a basic uh, market value, because I think there's there's a couple of things. There's how we think as women. Mm-hmm. And then also a big piece of the puzzle is how we influence everything that happens in the, in the consumer market. So women are the major consumers in the country. 85% of the purchasing 
decisions are actually made by women. I think where there's a conflict between men and women and where this piece starts to, uh, we get the great divide, is that we are a part of this wonderful country that's built on capitalism, yet we only make 78 cents on the dollar compared to men. And so when you push into that great divide, women are not trying to be men. The truth is that we just want our 22 cents. But it gets confusing to me when I see this whole thing on women's fight for sort of the rights, the equality, and everything else that comes under this sort of diversity umbrella. Is is this whole concept, is it a fallacy or is it hype? Because the only thing that I see that says men only is the restroom sign. No, you know what? The, the, there's a lot of hype around the difference between men and women. Mm. I would agree with you on that. But the the facts is really around the economics of it all, that women really do not make um, wage average to men for the same work for the same pay. And so when you when you really start to think about it that way, it, it, it really affects your psyche because I know I'm sitting in an office, there's a guy next to me, we're doing the same job. And to your point, when we started, you know, we work as hard if not harder, yet I am not recognized um, in the basics that we're that this country is built on, which is economics. So until the the wages get equal for equal work, equal pay, you're going to always have that feeling of less than. Well, that's where you're losing me a little. Are you telling me that someone, two people who come in, one man, one woman, um, let's say McDonald's, they're working at McDonald's, um, both work five hours. You're telling me the woman gets less pay than the man? It's it's not a more of a McDonald's type that kind of a job. It's more when you and and I'm talking when you have workers that if this job pays eight dollars an hour, it sometimes happens even there. But as you move into the higher ranks, where mm. it really does, you really can make a difference. Uh, there's a real loss in opportunity, um, and it it really is an unconscious bias that oftentimes people don't know. So, for example, a promotion, what you do is you go, oh, this this job in, may involve travel. Well, this woman has a family, so she may not want it, as opposed to giving her the opportunity. Or, uh, you know, this big job comes up, yeah, but she her, she's married, her husband works, she doesn't need as much money. Hmm. So it's unconscious. It's not, I think, that people sit down and want to do it deliberately, but it actually ends up happening just in the world where we live and work and play. But if it's not happening deliberately, how can you prove something like this where if you're at an executive role uh, and, and the HR are sitting and planning and they say, you know what, um, if the woman gets it, we're going to give her 22 cents less on the dollar. And if a guy gets it, we're going to give him 22. I mean, I, I've never seen that scenario exist. No, you know what it is? It, mm. it doesn't happen. They don't have the conversation it happens without you even really thinking about it. That's why it's unconscious. Because women also, we don't negotiate salaries the same way men do. And so often we will, when the company, you interview with the HR, and they say, oh, this, the range of this position is, you know, 150000 to 200000 Well, men might come into the interview and say, all right, but i got to have two twenty-five. And it's it's the confidence factor that women don't always have to negotiate, to ask for more. And so the men end up getting more because they ask. And that's really what we try to teach women is to build their confidence so they 
ask for what's there because every job has a range, especially as you get into the senior level roles. So then, that's not really a discrimination issue, is it? Is it? Because you 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 get what you. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate then. Absolutely. And men are better negotiators in a lot of cases than women. Mm. Because, uh, you know, we, when you talk about the psyche mm. of how men and women are different. So here's my question for you. If you see a job that you're interested in, right? Uh, you might not have all the qualifications that's written. But if you think you're interested in that job, would you go for it? Yes. So... The difference between men and women Mm -hmm. is that we see the job. We might be interested. We read the description, and we go, well, maybe I have 70% of that. Men could have, you know, 50%, and they'd have the confidence to go at it. Women, we have to constantly work on building our own confidence. So it's not oftentimes open discrimination, but inherited this inherited uh, lack of confidence because of situations that women have been in that they don't really feel like, oh, I need to really go up and ask for that. So men do it because their their nature is that of being providers. I'm going for this job. I've got to provide for my family. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, talking about psyche, what I've noticed in, 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 in my working experience is the women who work for me, they're looking, when I talk to them, they're looking for purpose from life Men are looking for position in life. We always want to prove something. So like you said, would, you know, even though I don't feel I'm qualified, would I go for it? Yes, because it has a better position and, 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 and something like that. Um, men, I think, also suffer from ego, and, and maybe women suffer from emotions. So men, the difference between men and women, hmm. do I get this right? So men, men in their nature go after position. Women in their nature look for purpose. Right. Um, men, a part of their nature is ego. Women, a part of their nature is emotion. So do you think men bring emotion to the workplace? Yeah, I mean, I, when I, I was just being very extremely general and black and white. But we do bring emotions. But I think from a male perspective, we are very – we calculate as much as possible. We're very analytical not to say that women are not, they are. Mm-hmm. But our emotion comes in terms of passion, in terms of fighting to win. Whereas I think when I see a lot of the women executives and all that, they are fighting for balance. We fight for imbalance as long <laughs> as it's in our favor. I love that. You fight for imbalance as long as it's in your favor. Uh, so I agree with I you. I mean, you look at Wall Street, even the movie. Mm-hmm. You know. No, I agree with you. I think that women, um, men do calculate, but I think you said it in, initially. Mm. Um, the, all the calculation, all the analytics, is really to get make sure that I move into the position that I'm trying to move into to be successful. Right. Whereas a part of women is purpose, but that purpose often has more to do with. Yes, I want a great career, but I'm also this balance word that you're using. I'm also um, society demands that I, you know, take first lead at family and and the nurturer. So, where the position for men is around the roles that they're in, for women it's the role, but it's also the nurturer of the family. Yeah, and they're more philosophical in their approach. They view life as a whole. Absolutely. 
we as men possibly uh, view life as a slice. Oh, I like whole and slice. So, so what does whole mean to you when you hear when you say I view life as a whole? Well, exactly what you said. You know, women see it very important that they have a good relationship with their spouse or or their boyfriend. Um, they have family time. Uh, they have a, a comfortable, good home. Yeah? Right. All that. So for them, it's balance. Everything has to fall within that whole. We guys, the ambitious guys, we prefer the imbalance in our favor uh, in our pursuit of success. Mm-hmm. So we'll work longer hours. And yes, these days, it's politically correct for every man to say when you ask him, you know, what's most valuable to you? And because, you know, it's a public relations stunt, oh, family is very important to me. But, you know, when my wife used to leave my kid with me, I'd, I'd be sitting on the couch watching TV. I'd let him play. The moment I heard unusual noises, I'd be like, hey, <laughs> okay. cut it out. Unusual noises. <laughs> I love that. Did that work for you, by the way? It did work. But, you know, as, as, as a father, and I think a lot of men go into this phase, that there are certain phases in childhood that you can relate to. I love children up to the age of two. The moment they start walking, I can't keep up with that. And now my son's a teenager, and I can relate to him as a man. Ah, okay. So between the ages of, say, two and 13, I was a bit of a a, a lost parent. But then it was also my prime time to sort of get into my career. So I was doing the best I could so that I could do best for my family. That's how I guess men think. Absolutely. And so when in during that lost time between two and 13 mm. with a parent? I was, I guess, an absent parent, yeah. Okay, yeah. And see, for women, there's mm. never a point where we're an absent parent. No, exactly. And whereas men, when you start talking about the slices, um, it's if you think of, if you put it in the form of a pizza, it's we've got a lot more slices that we divvy up because uh, as a mother, your wife could never be an absent parent. You right. know, even if you're physically not there, mm. and if you talk to the women that we talk to every day, even though you may not physically be there, it's never far away from your mind. Absolutely, and you know, going back to what you were saying. Um, my response to what you're saying is I personally feel women have never had so much power in history than in today's world. Just as much as your own statistics show, you know, women make 85% of all purchasing decisions. They control 60% of the personal wealth in America. They make up 50% of the workforce. So their limitations in negotiating the lost 22 cents, that's inherently individual, Right. Right, but I think some of the uh, the the conversations mm. really haven't changed, even though the numbers start to change. Right. So it is inherent to you know in the this is the 21st century, and you, you know you think with all of this that we would have moved past it, right? That that um, we have made such progress, but the truth of the matter is the underlying issue is still there. You know, we still don't see role models in a lot of places. Yes, we've made some progress. Women are graduating from colleges at higher rates than men, yet the conversation still uh, changes when you look at the top companies, for example, in the country. Mm -hmm. Less than 5% have women as CEOs. So there's this 
amazing groundswell that's happened over the years, but it still doesn't show up at the top in a significant way. But is the issue emotional? For some women, it might be emotional. For me, I just want my 22 cents so I can do do something else with it. And you, absolutely, and you should. Um, and But you go get it, right? I'll go get it. I'll, I'll go get so it. So it's actually not the system stopping. Well, in some cases, it's the system. It depends on your organization, right? Mm. So it, if you're in an organization that really values women, um, that really sees the difference in what's important to the women in their company. Right. So, um, for example, we have major partners that really spend a lot of time talking about how to value women in the workplace. What are the things that they look for? And once they f- they figure out what that is, then they really want to provide those things that make the work environment more supportive for women. So that's what we have to to look at our companies and say, you know, these are the things. For example, just today, uh, Kellogg's announced that they were on Working Mothers 100 Best Companies Mm. uh, for Working Women. And what gives them that honor, and and we actually have one of our board members, Wendy Davison, who is president of their uh, um, U.S. Specialty Channels, and the reason they get recognized for these type of awards is that the system gives them an opportunity within their company to function better between the work and the life. So paid time off, um, benefits that mm-hmm. really benefit men and women, a flexible work week. You know, that the company culture says it's okay for our, our president especially channels, Wendy, to leave and go and pick up her children and then say it verbally in a room because very often women don't do that because they're afraid of how they'll be judged so when you find companies and Kellogg is just one great example Mm -hmm. that do that women are much more likely to go into that company and to be felt feel good about the culture Um, they know they're better off the company feels better about it and they get a better return on their Mm -hmm. investment women. So uh, that's what younger, as we look at the research around millennials, the younger men and women are looking for that as they go into companies. So it's really the system changing their policies and procedures to say it's really okay. Well, you talked about, you know, helping women figure out what it is they want. But does what you do and the WFF, what they do, does, do you encourage women to become some sort of a corporate stereotype or are you actually removing the luxury of choice i mean are you encouraging women to be a certain way rather than having them choose to be what they want to be because so here's what wff is doing Mm. women's food service forum the organization and it's a 25 year old organization Mm. and being in the food world where you could literally be come in as a crew member at a McDonald's or right. come in and then elevate yourself to being a senior leader in the C-suite on boards. So what we try to do is provide opportunities for women to focus in on what are the competencies that they need to be successful. And we have found these core competencies like self-esteem, risk-taking, hmm. you know, negotiation, because you're absolutely right. We don't negotiate like men in a lot of cases. So we apply those competencies. 
we've got about 150 of the leading food companies around the industry um, that we work with, and they send their people through our learning and development, um, through our competencies. They attend our conference. And, and really it's two things, for them to take those competencies, apply those skills and behaviors to what they need to be successful, for them to make strategic connections, because we, we also know it's who you know, it's about relationships. Because I truly believe, to your point, Fip, that the, the system is there, the barriers may be there, um, the challenges are always going to be a part of who we are as a country, but the real thing that separates men from women is simply opportunity. And we try to prepare them so when the opportunity presents itself, they know how to go after it in a very strategic way. And that's where I wanted to take that opportunity and this diversity thing. Because, you know, these days diversity is is, is measured by statistics. And you mentioned that, you know, 5% of women are in the boardroom. Um, are we really getting a true picture from those statistics? And, and, I, and I get skeptical, and, and I'll tell you why. To me, what's important is how fair is the process of advancing in the corporate culture. You know, the, the, the key to diversity should be in the process of selection, the availability of training to all. That needs to be fair and, and, and university, universally available. Uh, but these days we seem to measure diversity by the end result, and, and that's not true diversity. Well, you know, there's a lot of research. This and the Catalyst, uh, which there in New York, uh, ran a study at the, with looking at the top Fortune 500 company, mm. and they're made up about 15% of female executive officers. Uh, they, as they looked at it, this, the numbers seem to have, have gotten stuck at around 17% for all of the different organizations and all the research. We haven't really seen it move, right. and so we think that that what has happened is that people are making different decisions. Uh, they Some choose to, to get off the track. Uh, um, in the legal world, for example, women just choose not to get on that uh, track if they don't want to. So we have to, to make sure there's women available mm -hmm. uh, because we also have the men say, well, they can't find anyone. So that we've got to develop the pipeline. That's where it really starts. Then we have to look within our organizations because the younger people that are coming up, they, they're looking for role models. If I look up and there's all men, it's not that I'm going around saying my company is sexist. I just don't have anybody to talk to like me. Uh, so the goal, and, and we have great champions um, in men within our organization uh, who really support this because they understand that you know if I want to if if I want to be in a, a certain uh, job I look for people who look like me mm -hmm. uh, to say yep this is possible and that's true you know if you if you look at you know I was talking to someone this past weekend about women being football coaches and and um, this guy said you know in my life I would have never thought that would happen that a woman could actually coach football. Well, once you've seen it, mm -hmm. then you know it's possible, and then you go for it. And so there's somebody else out there. I mean, it's in my lifetime that women have actually just moved into professional sports. I mean, think about the NBA and having a WBA. I mean, it's this is not far-fetched for us. We have come a long way in a short period of time. Yes, we have. I know, and it's great. Now, tell me about your wife. What does your wife do, Fit? My wife? Uh-huh. She does everything. Uh, she is 
she used to work as a uh, chief financial officer before marriage. Uh, when we got married, then because I had to go and live in different countries, you know, all all across Asia and Europe. So then she decided to actually give up her work and sort of seek fulfillment uh, elsewhere and, and devoting her time to charity and, and, and sort of building a home. The sort of things that she felt maybe she didn't get the opportunity to while she was aggressively pursuing a career. And damn it, she never went back to work, so I had to support her all the time financially. Well, shoot. <laughs> well, the big question is, is she happy? That's the best part. <laughs> With me, she's delirious. She's delirious, and you're keeping her in the style with which she should be, right? She should be accustomed to, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but, but I think you seriously, it's a great point, right? So you were you were married to a professional. As a family, you made a decision, mm-hmm. and it could have been you. You could have decided you were going to stay home, right? Yes. And so you all decided this was what was best for your life. And so a lot of women, especially women who may be uh, single moms, they may not have that option. So you you have some people who this concept of work-life integration or work-life balance, um, there are rules around that. And so it's okay for her to do that. That's the expectation. Very often the expectation would not be that it was okay for you. I have women uh, as a part of this organization who will tell us, you know, their, their, their husbands don't work, and yet they're stereotyped because they're supporting their wives' career and they're staying home with the kids. So there are these societal norms that are just not in balance. I, I agree. I mean, I agree. It should be whoever whoever can really make the process work, and men shouldn't be made to feel uncomfortable if they decide to stay home. But are we just being politically correct about that? Because, you know, for a man who has to stay at home, um, based on the fact what I said earlier, that men look for position, uh, men suffer from ego, uh, I've always wondered how does a man cope with that? Um, And obviously he's going to sort of, if you ask that particular individual, they're going to give you a happy picture. But deep inside, the instinct of a man it's something you can't remove. I mean, you remove, you, you open the cage of a lion, and, 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 and the lion has that instinct to get out. Hmm. You know, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Because it, I think, I don't think, I've never thought about it with men and mm. the instinct of a man. I know the instinct of a woman is always that of, I'm still the caregiver, whether it's it's my mother, my grandmother, my cousin, my babies. It's The instinct is always there. So if the instinct um, and the value and the identity of a man mm-hmm. is in their profession, then do they lose some of that when they're not in that place? I'm sure it's a mental dilemma. And I'd I, love to speak to someone who... and, and, and Get them to speak the real truth. Yeah, I think we, we 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 need to do another show and ask a man that question. Yeah, exactly. Who's in that position? Because we do have men who have chosen to to stay home, and I would like to think that they've found a way to survive and and feel comfortable in that. Situation. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they found a way, uh, and and I'm sure they've compromised in things like that. 
But I'm talking about the basic instinct of, of a man and the basic instinct of a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we live in, in a world these days that, you know, you can achieve a certain level of balance if you, as long as you compromise. But if you didn't have to compromise, what would you really do? Yeah, you know, that's, that, I think it's a great. I think it's a great societal dilemma, and I think a greater question mm. is: as we have younger people, our younger Gen Zs and Millennials that mm. are, are now coming into the workplace, where even the young men have a different set of rules right. uh, than um, the traditional baby boomers who are now in in power in most organizations. Right. It's a societal question that we'll end up really shifting and we'll have to answer it differently because they they want to have work-life balance as well. I want to ask you a question. Sure. And just answer me yes or no and then we'll move and then, you know, I'll, I'll expand, you expand. Um, do you think on the board of directors and at, at senior executive level there should be a fixed number of places for women? You know, it would be great. Hello, I said yes or no. Okay, so I would say yes. They, I would. We advocate for thirty percent okay. women on boards. I'll well, take the advocate. fifth on that. Let me finish. Okay. Thank you, my dear. <laughs> taking my show. No, I know I'm taking it over. <laughs> in the world of diversity, in the world of diversity, isn't being a quota higher the biggest insult? And let me explain where I'm coming from. Okay. We've all studied, we've all worked hard. And, and give or take, I believe in my life, I've had the same opportunities as everyone else. I've been to school, I've been to college, things like that. But today, if I'm told that I am here on this radio show because I'm short, I'm brown, and I act like a clown, <laughs> instead of me being here because of my hard work, that's the ultimate insult to me. I want to be recognized really for my ability to contribute not as a demographic substitute. Over to you. So I would, I would agree with you, mm. um, and I'll, I'll, I'll approach it from two spaces. So I'm a woman. I'm an African American woman. There are Say numerous. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there are numerous stereotypes that go with that process. Right. So quotas are always in play mm-hmm. uh, and different things because they've had to be historically. Because the history, and you, you know, you're from another country, so the history of this company, mm. the country brought about quotas. The negative part of that for women, for people of color, mm-hmm. is always going to be you have the second look around your skills and your deliverables. Because very often I am with HR people where the question is, uh, yes, but is the person qualified? Whereas if that was a man, mm-hmm. that, the conversation would never come up. So the only reason that quotas are a part of the discussion is we should always, because of the stereotypes and the biases, right? Because we should always hire No, but that's to make the company look good, right? You have a man who has the same qualifications as the woman, same personality as a woman, same go-get attitude as the woman. Um you're going to say, you know what, we've got 10 guys on the board, we've only got one woman, so let's put the woman in. Because now, publicly, as a PR setup, we're going to look better because now we've doubled the female workforce at that senior management level. 
Well, I don't think that the companies in in this day and time, 2015, mm. the men uh, in our organization who champion women being on the board, they're really not there just to say it looks nice physically from diversity. They're there because of where we started the conversation, which is that women influence 85% of purchases, and they want them to purchase their products and services. They want their voices in the room when they're trying to make determinations. Um, it's diversity of thought, not diversity just because the number is there. But if I'm, you know, if I'm working on something mm. uh, that might impact men, I don't want all women in my room, in in my meeting either. I want men like you in there, so you can say, you know, that's great, Hattie. But you're coming at it from a woman's perspective. Let me give you the man's perspective. So it's really getting that diversity of thought so that you can produce a better product. But then where does it stop? Because you could start a minorities war. You know, you could have the gays saying, well, where's my place? Where's my seat? The lesbians saying, where's my place? Where's my seat? You know, I think what you really have mm. in this country is everybody want a seat at the table. And so we look at the traditional structure of how we work, right? Mm. And the organizations, the business case is that if I have diversity, so if I'm developing a product, and let's say I'm in the hotel business, whether you gay or straight, man or, man or woman, mm. I want that voice at the table to help me to develop a greater product and to do better business because I know my customers. So it's more customer-driven than quota-driven. It's more information, data, experiences-driven mm. than it is just doing it because it looks good politically. Because at the end of the day, if they're not successful, it impacts the bottom line of the business. Now, women have this whole infrastructure so that they are empowered and they have people like you and organizations like you. Mm -hmm. Do you think men are being discriminated against? Let me give you an example. Women by right have maternity leave by law. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's no law that says men can take paternity leave. Well, the men can now take paternity leave. A lot of companies have it. But not every company. Not every company, no. So if you ask, are men discriminated against? Mm. Men can, can um, and so here's, here's the, here's, let me, let me answer this. Because I want to set up an MFF. And <laughs> no, no. So men do have leave where they can take off when they, they have a baby. So I want to, I want to respond to that first mm. uh, because there is a leave now and a lot of, especially the younger men do take leave. But I think you, you, you're getting to a bigger question, and that's the question of privilege. So I want to talk about that, because if you are a person of privilege, you don't often notice when the, the equals are, or when the scales are unbalanced. If you are, if you, if you're, if there's nothing that has happened in your life for you to notice that, then it's not really that big of a deal. So it's, if you think of it globally, mm -hmm. for example, Vip, when you came to this country, there are so certain nuances in this country that you may have never heard of until you got here. Because if it's not in your radar, you don't pay attention to it. Right. So it's that real issue of privilege. But can you yeah. explain to me what is a person of privilege? Give me a, a real-life example. Okay, a person of privilege, mm. if you think about uh, white men in America and the business environment, you get up, you go to work. Again, I'm positioned, here's how I need to work, here's mm. how I need to, to do business. And it's just a part of what you've seen and what you've modeled and what you've been a part of. When, when 
you, you wouldn't get up in the morning thinking, I'm going into my company, and there may be certain things that will happen in that organization that will not fit with my life. You don't think about it. It's just not a part of it. If you if you have a different filter, for example, and some of these things are very critical. For example, if I'm two gay men mm-hmm. and my filter is always up that I'm a gay man, that I might be in a situation where my life could really be at risk because people don't value who I am and what I do. If I'm a person of privilege, if I, when I get up in the morning... I'm going to notice the fact that I'm a woman. There's no way to hide that. It's going to be a part of the process when I go out into the world. So there are certain things you see just because of how you grew up, where you are, and what's happening in your world. You see the problem I find with this Mm -hmm. is there's a lot of assumptions going on. Um, If a woman is getting up feeling that she's not going to get ahead because she is a woman – I'm made to look like the bad guy if I'm her boss because she's assuming that's what I think. See what I mean? No, exactly. But see, here's what you want to understand, Mm. that assumptions are made on both sides. So you don't assume that I'm thinking about what – and this is why you communicate and have great um, mentors and people sponsoring women because I might look at you and think you're thinking one thing, and you're not thinking that at all. But when very often privilege is invisible, because if you have not had to experience it, then you don't you don't see it. It's just not a part of. Well, that's like marriage, isn't it? My wife's always thinking I'm doing wrong when I'm actually doing nothing. Oh, you're probably doing wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But you know what? It it really, you know, it it just depends on how you feel, mm. and so that's why building confidence with women is so critical. Because I may not even know if I deserve to be there in a situation, so I have to build my own confidence, feel good about what I have to offer when I'm coming into the workplace. I mean, it really does start with both sides. It's not a one-person, men are always wrong and women are always right. I don't want to leave that impression. Uh, what makes a a whole is men being part of the solution, mm-hmm. uh, so you have conversation, so that the woman isn't sitting at the desk thinking what you might be thinking, but you tell her that she's a valuable part of the team. If you do see people in the workplace treating her differently, you speak up about that. That's when you have men, and we, we have men all the time who champion. They're wonderful champions and support women in our industry. And so we really have to tell them, here's where we need your help. Well, here's and, what I need from you. Okay. Women who are listening to the show. What are the th- and then I'm going to ask you about the men as well. Women who are listening to the show, what are the top three things they need to do? What are the top three things that they women need to do need in relating to, do? to what we're talking about? In relating to what we're talking about. You know, first of all, I think the first thing that I would do as a woman is to, to be conscious of what's happening around you, what situation you're in, mm-hmm. uh, because oftentimes men don't know and women don't know either. So Step one is to really look at yourself and say, you know, what's going on with me? See, mm-hmm. I don't start with other people first. If I start with myself, what right. do I need to work on? Right. So that self-awareness is really, uh, do I need to build my confidence? Do I need to uh, build my financial acumen, for example? If I'm in a business environment, I need to improve those skills. So education and training. Yeah, first okay. thing is that, well, first thing is evaluation. What, do an assessment of your own skills. What do I need to work on? Then number two, then, 
is to build those skills through the competencies that we, in our case, we offer, the leadership development competencies, that says these are the behaviors that goes with that. Because very often I can say I don't have a lot of confidence, but I don't know what the steps are to get there. I don't have good negotiating skills, but I don't know what the steps are to get there. So that would be number two. And then the third thing, which is so critical, and I'm, I'm going to take a full circle in this conversation. We talked about the psyche of women. So the psyche of women is oftentimes driven more emotional than analytical when it comes to family. So how do you um, build your emotional intelligence? How do you uh, build your yourself in a place where you have the confidence to go for it and, and to, to get people around you who can sponsor you, give you support, serve as an advocate for you because you can't always do it by yourself. And that's why we're about strategic connections because we want you to have that support. And, and, and men who have these senior management positions and things like that who are dealing with the women who are listening, what, do they, what are the three things they need to do? So three things that men need to do, first and foremost, it's to start with self-awareness that men have to know, you know, am I doing things that may cause women? I mean, you're a very open man, Vip, so that's for... That's because I can't go around to my staff and, and go to the woman who's working for me and say, you know, I know you're feeling inferior. I got it. I just spoke to Harry and, and you're feeling... No, I can't do that. <laughs> no, don't do that. No, no. But what, <laughs> please don't go and do that. But what men can do to champion women yeah. is always making sure that you're aware of your behaviors and how you support them. Be inclusive. Very often it'll be a conversation where the woman is not saying anything or we naturally might do subtle things that you don't even think about, like asking a woman to get the coffee where it demeans her when there's other men in the room. I get that, you know, but my other problem is women are also very emotional. And, yes. and, and I'll give you an example, and, and before we get to the third point. Okay. Um, you know, my wife's friend the other day, she, she, she came home, we were going out for dinner, so, you know, she says to me, oh, Vip, got this new dress, but, you know, I think it makes me look fat. And all of a sudden my wife is looking at me and... and, and, and the, the friends looking at me like my wife knows I'm going to say something because I don't hold back. So I just said, you're easy to see. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, personally, I thought she looked like Shrek in a frock. Okay, <laughs> Shrek in a frock. But, but you know, okay. I, I have to be sensitive and I have to speak the truth. Um, and then the other day, you know, this... Um, one of my assistants came by, and, and I just said, because she actually looked frazzled. It was first thing in the morning. I said, you okay? You, you, you're looking a little, con you know, tired. And, oh, she got so upset. She goes, no, you know, I'm very conscious of my looks. And I, I said, I never talked about your looks. You just look tired. So as a manager of you, I, I was just concerned. Is everything all right? So Those are the dilemmas I face. Okay, so that was her emotion that you were that was coming out. Yeah, so it was just like you know, oh, so that's where I guess guys in my position tend to tread a very fine line, because apparently in America, if you ask someone, "Are you okay? You're looking tired," apparently that's considered not a nice thing to say. Whereas yeah. where I'm from, it's actually uh, an act of concern that can I be of assistance. Exactly. Well, I think that that um, the 
the first thing you as a manager is to know your people, right? Mm. So we all have great people who work with us in the in the workplace, and you get things done through people. And when you see people who, men or women, who are not performing in the way that they normally do, uh, it's going to be, you have to ask the question. Because right. that's a part of your role. Mm-hmm. If If she gets emotional, then there must be something else going on. So it's not whether it's the emotion is good or bad, it's not um, positioned in the right way. Right. And so what we've got to find out is address the issue around what's going on. And, you know, you pull her into one-on-one to mm. have that kind of a conversation because if that's her immediate response, something else is going on. Right. So that's that's what I always say. If, if people respond like that, it, you know, then something else is happening. Now you've written, was that the third point? Yes. That was third, okay. Yeah. You've written some best-selling books. I have, I have. Which one would you recommend our listeners get? You know, probably The Choices That Will Change Your Life was the um, the last one, which was probably the most direct about what you need to do when it comes into to action. Mm-hmm. Because the one thing we learned, and we interviewed about 5,000 people around the world when we wrote that book, and it started with Smart Women, Smart Choices, and then Choices That Will Change Your Life. And the, the real, uh, for the first time, the conversations that you and I have started coming to life for me in that it it really is about the choices and then Mm. you have to put a process in place to address those decisions because life is really about choices every day we get up. So I would say that choices that will change your life. And where is that available? Oh, probably online. Yeah, you can get it online. What, Amazon? Uh Uh-huh. Amazon, yeah. WFF. Yes. Women's Food Service for I mean, that sounds like a bunch of lunch cafeteria ladies. I know. Stop it. <laughs> so it's, I, I was like, you know what? I, I actually did you a favor. I uh-huh. actually thought about what could it stand for and still mean the same thing. Okay. Women's Fight for Fairness. Oh, Women's Fight for Fairness. <laughs> you are funny. So let me tell you what Well, I, I'll tell you what's funny. Women's Food Service Forum. That's funny. The name of the title. <laughs> you know, when you when when you put what happened was this group of women came together mm. and they were actually at a meeting for the National Restaurant Association and so there was a a forum of this group of women that that kind of huddled together and they just had their first meeting. So the name just stuck because these women from the food world, um, most of them at that time were in companies that were uh, that were called food service companies. Mm. The names have changed over the years, but the name of the organization really stuck because of the connection between the people. Now, we know now, uh, which is why we refer ourselves to ourselves as WFF, because the food ecosystem is huge. You have suppliers, you have distributors, you have manufacturers. I mean, the food is very popular now. It's mm-hmm. a, a huge part of our world. Our goal is to really get to women leaders and men who want to see women advance, uh, who really believe that they want to develop, apply our core competencies, build strategic connections, so we see more women go to the C-suite. So that's what's really important to us. If In the food world, if you think about it, I can start in the cafeteria and go to the, to be the CEO, and that's okay. Well, I was looking at your website, beautiful website. 
Thank you. But you have zero men on your senior management team out of four. There's male well, discrimination right there. I'm not doing male discrimination. You got two men on your staff out of eleven. <laughs> he said I'm discriminating. Discriminating? I mean, that's harassment. No, it's not harassment. I have absolutely fabulous men on my board. And, you know, we're building a staff, so more, you know, we'll get more men as time goes on. Because you got to have, uh, you know, it's, again, I go back to where we started, Chip, mm. is that I really do want all those voices at the table. So we absolutely um, not only have men on our board, but we have men as a part of the team, and we'll continue to grow that. Because all, all uh, the value is in the perspective, the experience, uh, and the education. Well, Hattie, you've been wonderful. Oh, you're wonderful, too. Thank you so much for inviting us to participate. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the wonderful Hattie Hill. Thank you for listening. A special shout-out of thanks to my dream team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. Your comments on your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account and my Facebook page. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Until then, have a productive and a very happy week ahead. <laughs> 